Hello again and welcome to Contemplative Episcopalian, a podcast of St. Paul's Episcopal Church. We are a Christian faith community located in downtown Beloit, Wisconsin. I am Father T.J. Humphrey, and for this episode, we are sharing with you a homily that I delivered on Sunday, September 27th in the morning, um, 2020. Uh, The title of this homily is Silence. A reading from James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature. And it is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine? No more can salt water yield fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show it by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. Here ends the reading. Those who wish to sustain their heart energy, they maintain silence. A saying of Master Hakuin. In seminary, I had to read a good amount of Thomas Aquinas. Now, yeah, I know, Aquinas is a big deal and all. But he is a dreadfully, dreadfully boring read. 
While I thought I was being exposed to most of his work, as it turns out, what I was being forced to read was only the tip of the iceberg. Aquinas was like a machine whenever it came to his writing projects. And his works seemed to bear more of a resemblance to algebra or quantum physics than to theology or philosophy. His writing process was very precise, calculated, methodical. (laughs) Analytical Christians everywhere found their stairway straight to heaven in him. (laughs) He was like the theological version of all of those house organizing shows that everybody is watching these days, where experts come in and clean up and organize all of the clutter that people have created for themselves. Ah, yes, I can just hear the commercials now. Did you enjoy watching Marie Kondo or The Home Edit on Netflix this week? If so, we have something special in store for you. Tune in next week and be amazed as Thomas Aquinas enters your brain and organizes every thought you've ever had about God or life in general. (laughs) Because Aquinas put so much content out there, And because he seemingly provided an answer for every single theological and philosophical quandary, he ended up having a very decisive influence not only on Western Christianity, but on the entire Western world. So I realized that whether I liked him or not, at some point I was going to have to dig in and grapple with the works of his hands. But there is something that happened to Aquinas later in his life that very few people seem to know about. Something that makes him far less boring and far more appealing to somebody who's wired like I am. Near the end of his life, while he was praying the Eucharistic prayer during the liturgy, he heard the voice of Christ speaking to him. Christ told Aquinas that he was well pleased with him, and then asked what it was that Aquinas still desired, to which Aquinas replied, Only you, Lord. We don't know exactly what happened next, what it was that Aquinas saw, what it was that he heard, what it was that he experienced. What we do know is that from that day forward, he refused to work or to write anymore. His experience of Christ was so intense that it basically silenced him. He went from being a theological machine to basically a recluse overnight. And when people sought him out and begged him to continue his work, Aquinas provided them with a very simple response. Everything I have written now seems to me a straw. At the end of his life, he had learned what one of his contemporaries, Meister Eckhart, had once preached about. That all those who want to make statements about God are wrong, for they fail to say anything about God. And those who say nothing about God are right. For no word can express God. 
To put it another way, as the modern Franciscan theologian Ilia Delio likes to say, God is not your idea of God. My friend, if you understand God, it is not God that you understand. James tells us that if we would only learn how to control our tongues, engage in silence, we would all become all the more wiser for it. This is not just true uh, of what people would consider everyday normal life. It's true of religious life as well. In reality, religious life and everyday life are the, one and the same, but people like to make a distinction. It's true in both worlds. James cautions those of us who are, who are ordained and those of us who take it upon ourselves to speak of the mysteries of God in a public way. James warns us that we will be judged with greater strictness, and rightfully so. While there is nothing more beautiful than receiving a word of wisdom from an ordained person, something that liberates your soul, there is nothing more dreadful than being entrapped in an, in an authority figure's false impression of God or false impression of the human condition. And Jesus warns those of us who feel the call to carry the burden of teaching that we should not throw our pearls to pigs. Now, while many people think that Jesus is being mean or derogatory here towards a certain people group, I don't think this is the case at all. In ancient times, human beings were often symbolically depicted as animals. Jesus isn't being mean, he's using symbolism. In essence, what Jesus is saying is that it would be unloving for those of us who teach to attempt to pass on wisdom before those who are doing the listening are actually ready to receive it. As Solomon has said, it is unwise to awaken love before it so desires. Even if what we are saying is, quote, right, this does not make us right in the saying of it if, it, if it is not the right time. And we can say the right sort of thing in the wrong sort of way. If only we human beings knew when to speak and when to be quiet, what to say and what not to say, a good majority of the world's problems would instantly vanish. James even goes so far as to unveil the hidden path of sainthood. Did you catch it? He says that the one who makes no mistakes in their speaking is perfect and that they are able to keep their whole body in check. For James, silence is the path that leads to sainthood, that leads to perfection, that leads to enlightenment, that leads to total union with God. If we do not bridle our tongues, it will be impossible to bridle the other parts of ourselves that are all distorted and out of whack. But James teaches us that if we would just learn the simple art of shutting up, <laughs> we would discover the hidden gem of wisdom within us, a wisdom that will help us to find a true balance in life. As the old proverb goes, 
even the fool will be thought wise if they use words with restraint. Silence is the ultimate virtue, more than love, more than generosity, more than anything. Julian of Norwich tells us that silence is the tool that God uses to uproot our vices and to implant good virtues. Learn silence and you will learn all that you need. Fail to learn silence and no amount of learning will ever give you what you need. It is the practice of taming the tongue of holding a sacred silence before God and before others that enables us to stop contending and striving so much against ourselves. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that we should never talk. It just means that we need to make more space in our lives for less talking, less noise. The point is that we actually need to give God an opportunity to speak to us. As one famous philosopher has said, the greatest problem in our world today is that people no longer know the art of sitting quietly in a room alone. If you wish to encounter the depths of God and the depths of your true self, make space in your life for this sacred silence. Once there were three friends who decided to become monks, but they all chose to live out their vows, their vocations, in different ways. The first monk decided to basically be an activist, going around and teaching communities how to shape their politics and their culture by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the second monk decided to go and to care for the sick. But the third monk chose a life of quiet and solitude. After some time had passed, the first monk got to the point where he grew weary, and he eventually burned out. Rather than discovering a path that helped people learn how to live peaceably together, his teaching and his activism only fueled the rage and the backlash of those who disagreed with him. So instead of building the kingdom of God on earth, he found himself constantly having to defend himself and the ideals found in the Sermon on the Mount. The second monk, the one who tended to the sick, fell into the same sort of exhaustion. This monk realized that he had focused so much on helping others that he never really took the time to help himself. And while the idea of denying himself fully and giving himself entirely to serve those who were ill initially sounded appealing to him as very Christ-like, you know, in motive. But he found that he no longer had the mental or the emotional energy to carry on any longer with his work. He was just done. So one day, after all of this, these two monks came together to catch up. And as they were talking, they started to wonder how their friend, the third monk, the one who had chosen a life of solitude, they wondered how he was doing. So they set out to visit him. Upon finding him, they greeted him and asked, How is he doing? (laughs) He remained silent. 
After a few moments, he reached out to pour a pitcher full of water into a bowl. And he broke the silence and said, Look upon the water as it was being poured forth. The water was unsettled, sloshing all about. It was still in the process of being poured. The first two monks weren't quite sure what it was that they were supposed to be seeing other than watery ripples bouncing off of one another. But once the bowl was full, the monk put the pitcher down and he waited a few moments. Look now at how undisturbed the water has become, he said. The first two monks both looked down upon the calm water and could clearly see the reflections staring back at them, as if they were looking into a mirror. The third monk said, So it is with the person who never carves out time for silence. The turbulence all around her, like rushing waters, initially makes it difficult for her to see herself for who she truly is. But when she learns the art of silence... Then the ripples slowly subside, and she can begin seeing herself for who she truly is. The first two monks, they got the lesson, and refreshed, they returned to their work. They learned something that Master Hakuin, a Zen master, would go on to express hundreds of years later. Those who wish to sustain their heart energy maintain silence. My friends, our world has many activists, and their political vision is needed now more than ever. And our world has many healthcare workers, and their service to all those who are ill is needed now more than ever. But where is the third monk? When his example of quiet transformation, when his gift of helping people to discover their true selves is needed now more than ever. Let us pray. O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.